All right, well, good morning again. So glad that you are here. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series to the book of Nehemiah. And I hope that over the past couple of weeks, you've enjoyed this study and that you even have gone back home and read through the pages of the book of Nehemiah because this is a great challenging book for all of us in this room. Over the past couple of weeks, we have looked at, um, at Nehemiah's response when faced with the difficult situation. So Nehemiah gets word that the state of Jerusalem is not good. The walls are still down after 70 years. The gates haven't been rebuilt. And when Nehemiah gets word of this, he's a broken man. He hits the ground. He begins to pray. He repents. Not only does he repent, but he repents um, for, for, for the nation of Israel as well as um, those that have sinned. So after that, Nehemiah resolved that he was going to be a part of the solution. So he rose up, prepared to be the change agent that God had set him apart to be. And then last week, we looked at what happened when Nehemiah shared the vision God had given him with the king. After prayer, Nehemiah shared the king was moved by Nehemiah and by the words that he had spoken to allow him to go back or to go to Jerusalem to become the change agent that God had set him apart to be. And here's what I pray each of us recognize this morning. It is this, God rewards our faithfulness. Say that with me, God rewards our faithfulness. Do you believe that? You believe that God rewards our faithfulness? Notice this morning, our first point is this, Nehemiah's purpose. In Nehemiah chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there with me. We're going to begin in verse 9, and we're going to read through verse 18 or study through verse 18 this morning. We'll kind of break this up as we go, but we're going to read, first of all, verses 9 through 11 together. So Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning of verse 9, we read these words. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalai the Hornite and Tobia the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Within the opening words of this passage, we see Nehemiah's obedience. Notice what Nehemiah wrote. He said, then I came. Nehemiah loaded up his gear and he traveled almost a thousand miles out of obedience to the vision that God had given him to go to this land that he had never been to before, to go to this city that he had never been to before. He went prepared and armed to do the work that God had set him apart to do. Think about instances that the Lord has spoken to you throughout your lifetime. When he spoke and when he called you to act, what did you do? What did you do when God birthed that vision in your heart and said, go and do? Did you make excuses? You know, I know in my life, oftentimes when God says to do something, I will make an excuse. I'll, I'll, you know, I don't usually throw this line around that I'm, I'm too old, but there's been times when I've said that I'm too young to do that. But maybe you've been at a point in your life when you have been given a vision by God and you said, man, I'm just too old to do that. 
God can't use me because I'm too young. Or maybe you said I'm too poor to be used of God or I'm too busy to be used of God. Or what about this? I'm not qualified to be used by God to do this or that that he has called me to do. And we know this. God doesn't generally call the qualified, does he? He qualifies the called. And every single one of us in this room that have been given a vision by God to act upon that vision should know that right there. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are or how poor you are, how rich you are, how busy you are. God can still use you and God can still birth a vision in your heart to become the change agent that he has set you apart to be. Think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't qualified to rebuild anything. All he was was a cupbearer to the king. The thing that he was good at is sampling the queen, king's wine to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. But God would use him to be a master craftsman for his glory. Also, notice this. Notice um, Nehemiah's opponents. In verses 9 and 10, we are introduced to two guys. One is Sanballat and the other one is Tobiah. You know what these two guys are? These two guys are trouble. That's what they are. They, they will study more about them throughout this book. But these two men, what they are is they are bullies. They are men who like to stir up trouble within the city of Jerusalem. These two men represent those who, who are usually against change. Have you ever known somebody like that? Have you ever known someone that, that you shared God's vision with that have just automatically just come up with excuse after excuse after excuse as to why that's not going to work. You ever had people in your life that have kind of bullied you around whenever you try to do the work that God has set you apart to do? That may have happened in churches that you've been a part of over the year. Man, you get all excited about what God has birthed in your heart to do, and then all you hear from all of the skeptics in the church is, no, that can't be done. Well, I want you to know right now, if God has birthed it in your heart, it can be done, regardless of what your critics might say. And, and Tobia and Sambalay, they are critics, they're, and they've been critics since the day they were probably um, of age to be a critic. And here's what we're going to see and, and know this morning, that, um, that regardless of the vision busters that are in this world, God can still use people to change the world. And also notice Nehemiah's patience. We read here in verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Why didn't Nehemiah get right to work? I mean, think about that for just a second. Okay, Nehemiah had been given a vision, and it took four months from the time that vision was given before Nehemiah could share that vision, and now um, some even more months, because it took months to get to Jerusalem. You would think that when Nehemiah hit the ground, he would have hit the ground running, ready to, to gather all the people. He had all the supplies ready to build. You would think that's what he would have done, but that's not what he did. Okay, first of all, he probably needed a little bit of time of rest. Okay, he, he had been working really hard to get to Jerusalem and needed to rest. Also, you can be certain, okay, with the kind of entourage that Nehemiah had when he entered into Jerusalem, there were probably some skeptics that were within the city. 
man, they've already got bullies that are hurling insults at them. They didn't know who this guy was from Adam. They didn't know what Nehemiah's purpose was because he didn't share what his purpose was. And so they may have thought that Nehemiah was just some bully from the king that's come to, to, to inflict um, heartache upon them. And so he waited for the right time before he shared God's vision with them. Notice our next point, it's this, Nehemiah's probing. In verses 12 through 16 we read, Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon gate and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that I was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of um, who were to do the work. You know, I bet for a few days, Nehemiah was chomping at the bit. He was ready to get to work. He was ready to get to work. But notice first, we see here his passion. He, he wrote these words, what my God has put into my heart. You know, the heart is where visions are birthed. Nehemiah is saying right here, what God had placed into my heart. What has God put into your heart? that demands you to act? How long has it been since God has put something into your heart that demanded you to act? Maybe God is trying to put something into your heart, but because your heart has become maybe hardened or because you become so distracted with the things of this world, you haven't listened to what God has birthed into your heart. Nehemiah listened and he responded. How about you? What is it that the Lord demands of you? Um, what is it that he's calling you to act upon? Is he calling you to share the gospel with someone uh, that you know? Is he calling you to start a new ministry? Is he calling you to start a new mission? Is he calling you to be a part of mission work? You know, visions start in the heart. That is where we catch a vision of what can be if we are obedient to God. I mean, think about some of the great missionaries that have, you know, either exist today or have gone before us how they were obedient to the vision that God had given them. I mean, think about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor had a vision, and that vision was to see the people of China enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he wanted to see the Word of God into the hands of the Chinese men and women and students and children. Lottie Moon, if you're Southern Baptist, you know about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's an offering that we usually take in December. Lottie Moon was a missionary to China. Why did she go to China? Because she wanted to see Chinese men, women, students, and children place their faith in Jesus Christ. Billy Graham had a vision, and that vision was to see the nations come to Christ. Jim Elliott, Nate Sank, missionaries to Ecuador. We've been to Ecuador multiple times. These men went to an Indian group or tried to penetrate into an Indian group called the Aka Indians. They lost their lives taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. But today, that village 
knows Jesus because after their death, others went in there and they were successful sharing the gospel of, of Jesus Christ with that people group. Think about Martin Luther. Martin Luther had a vision to see the Word of God into the hands of God's children. David Livingston had a, had a vision to see the people of Africa enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about all of those people that you have known that have gone on mission trips or have gone and sold everything that they have here to go on to the mission field. Why did they do that? Because God had birthed a vision in their heart and they didn't ignore that vision or they didn't run from that vision. They were obedient to that vision. They received a vision and they went. Notice next. Notice Nehemiah's gain. His gain was an understanding of what was before him. He had already had a plan, but part of the implementation of that plan required an assessment of the condition of the city. Nehemiah could have easily focused in whenever he went into that city. He could have focused in on the good because there was some good that was happening within that city, okay? Um, the, 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 the people had returned to Jerusalem. Many of those that were in exile had returned to Israel. They had returned to the land. The temple had been restored, meaning worship and sacrifices had been restored. Nehemiah could have focused on those things, okay? And those are good things to focus on, but there was still a serious problem. The walls were down. The gates were destroyed, making the people of Israel a laughing stock. Let me ask you a question this morning, okay? How many of you in this room are, are, are um, half-full kind of people, okay? I mean, you see the good in everything. Raise your hand if you're a half-full kind of person, okay? Raise your hand if you're like me more so than not and half-empty kind of person, Okay, am I the only one? Okay, a couple of people in here, all right? Um, but, but I know some of you, and some of you weren't honest whenever you rose your hands just, <laughs> raised your hands just then, okay? Here's the reality in life, folks. Sometimes we have to see things as they really appear, okay? This isn't a half-full cup. This is a half-empty cup, okay? All right, here's why I say that this morning, okay? It's because of this. Okay, Nehemiah, he could have seen the good and, and just kind of gone about his life, but he didn't. He saw the bad that was still in that city, and he knew that in order for good to be restored to the nation of Israel and to the people of Jerusalem, those walls had to be rebuilt. Those gates had to be restored. The people before the nations needed to be um, needed to rise up again and become the nation that other nations feared and quaked when they saw. Visions require work. There is background work that needs to be done, and that is what Nehemiah is doing. Before our God-birthed visions become a reality, we have to count the cost as Scripture indicates. Nehemiah counted the cost as he traversed through the, the, the city both on the inside and the outside. In Luke verse, um, chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus spoke these words. He said, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? You know, investigating the visions that God had birthed in our heart will confirm the vision. 
will define the vision and it will clarify the vision. Nehemiah now knows because of the assessment that he did what work needs to be done. So that leads us to our next point and that is Nehemiah's presentation. Okay, And we see here in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2 beginning in verse 17 and we're going to read through 18a. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. So Nehemiah rallies the troop. He brings together all of the leaders. They all gather around a circle and Nehemiah shares the vision that God had birthed in his heart with others. So notice the first thing Nehemiah did. He identifies with the people. You see what he says here? He says, you see the trouble that we are in. Nehemiah was not an official representing the court of the king that had come to the city to stir up problems. No, he was a man of God that was a part of the people of God who had come to restore God's people to a position of stature again. There was a day when the nations quaked because of the Israelites. At this point in time, the nations, though, laugh at them. They bully them. They ridicule them. They do not take them seriously. And if they do not take them seriously, you can be sure that they do not take Yahweh God seriously either. Here's what I love about God's Word and about Nehemiah. Nehemiah became a part of the story. And not only would he be part of the story, but he would also be part of the solution. He would be part of the God-given solution to restore the nation of Israel back to a position of, 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 of influence, back to a position of stature, back to a position where the nations are going to quake again because of the people of God. You know what, my friends? You too are part of the story. You are part of God's redemptive story. How are you living within his story? How are you going within his story? How are you impacting the world within God's redemptive story? I've shared this illustration with you before, but, but I love um, what Joni Erickson Tata said. You know who she is, or many of you do if you don't. She um, became a quadriplegic at a young age, and, and she's a prolific writer, speaker, and she was once asked why she continues to fight why she continues to share, why she continues to live. And basically what she said is she said that this is the only time in all of human history that I get to be a part of the battle. This is the only time in all of human history that she gets to be a part of God's redemptive story. And that is the case for all of us in this room. This is the only life that we get. This is the only time that we get to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ with other people with those that we go to school with, those that we go to work with, those that we live next to, those that, 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 that we do life with, those that are in the other parts of this world, this, may be the only, this will be the only time that we have an opportunity to proclaim the good news of salvation with them. You know, Nehemiah could have um, remained with the king. He could have 
continue doing what he's always done, and that is just sampling that wine, making sure that it was not poison. But that isn't what Nehemiah did. He recognized that God wanted him to be a part of his eternal story. And that is the case for all of us in this room. God wants us to be a part of his eternal story. He wants us to be agents of change within the lives of other people. Notice next, we see Nehemiah's reasoning. In verse 17, again, we read, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. The city was in trouble. The people were in trouble. But the people didn't know how to fix it. That's why Nehemiah showed up on the scene, because he had a plan. And the first thing we see that Nehemiah does with this crowd in that room is he recruits them. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah makes the obvious front and center. He says, we must rebuild for the sake of God's glory. Understand, Nehemiah's mission was more than a mission involving bricks and mortar. He was on a mission to remove the condition of shame and fear poverty and insecurity from God's people. The building of the walls would help accomplish that. But the end game was not just new walls and new gates. It was a restored people back to the heart of God. Because when the nation got their lives right with God, guess what? The other nations of this world would take notice. And I think the same is true for this church. When we get our lives right with God, those within this city and these cities and these communities will take notice of what God is doing within our lives, inside the doors of this building. They'll take notice of what we're doing outside the walls of this building as well. You remember what happened when David showed up on the battlefield before he took on Goliath? Goliath had made the people of God a laughing stock, not only to the Philistines, but probably to the surrounding nations as well. For 40 days and 40 nights, he had gone out and probably called the Israelites every name in the book and relegated them to a bunch of cowards. Even the king was a coward hiding out in his tent when Goliath showed up. But when David showed up, he recognized that that giant was no match for his God. And so what David is going to do, he took on Goliath, he defeated Goliath, and you know what ultimately happened through the life of David? The people of God, their hearts were restored to God. Why? Because David helped facilitate that by pointing um, a godless, wayward people back to their sovereign God. David shows up in 1 Samuel 17, 37, we read, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And the Lord was with him, right? Verse 47 says, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. The battle was the Lord's, and, Lord, and the Lord was victorious through David on that battlefield. Folks, if the vision is from the Lord, you can be certain of success 
if you and I act in obedience. Nehemiah then shares his credentials. In verse 18, we read, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Nehemiah takes two things, makes two things clear within this verse. He makes, first of all, this clear, that the hand of God was upon him. What more do we need in life, folks? What more do we need than the hand of God to be upon us? We have this promise in Scripture that God's hand is upon us, that God is with us, that God goes before us. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to read a few Scriptures together, okay, up on the board. And you're going to notice there's an underlined portion. And when we get to that underlined portion, I want you to say out loud, those words. Read these words with me. So first of all, in Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Read with me. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Isaiah 41, 10, start reading with me. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in Psalm 118, read with me. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because the Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And in Matthew 28, this is a great commission. All of us have been commissioned by God to go. And we read of this when Jesus spoke these words. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus said these words, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Hebrews 13, 5, Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God was with Nehemiah. God would be with the rebuilders of those broken down walls as well. Do you believe, faith family, that God is with you as well? Do you believe that God is with you when you experience loss? Or you experience heartache? or you um, are brokenhearted, or the walls that are around you have been broken down. God is with you. You can be certain of that as a believer, and we will never, He will never leave us or forsake us. In fact, He will always go before us, leading us into the battle, leading us toward making His vision become a reality through our lives. So not only did Nehemiah have God on his side, but Nehemiah also had the king on his side. And that was important because um, of, the, of the state of so many within Israel. Their hearts had turned away from God. And so just knowing that God was with Nehemiah may not have been enough for the people of God. And so when they get word that this pagan king had also signed off on the rebuilding of the walls and the rebuilding of those gates, many of them also caught that vision. And they would accept responsibility 
and they would begin to build. And that leads us to our final point this morning, and that is this, the people's response. In the latter part of uh, verse 18, we read, and they said, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. In a matter of moments, after Nehemiah shared the vision that God had birthed into his heart, he's got a team of men and women, probably students and children, that are also, man, they're, they caught the vision, and they're ready to build. He's got his team, and they're ready to begin rebuilding those broken down walls. For Nehemiah, even though the building had not begun, he would experience the reward of the vision, having gained the support of God's people. Nehemiah was God's man set apart to do God's work. God was rewarding him for his heart, for his prayer, for his boldness, for his action by going, as well as for his wisdom. All that God had been doing in Nehemiah's life was all being rewarded. Why is that? Because of his faithfulness. Because he was obedient to the call from God upon his life. All of these things are now being rewarded. Now, folks, God is wanting to use each of us in this room to change the world as well. He is wanting us to impact our community. He is wanting us to impact these cities. He is wanting us to impact this world that we live in, both in the United States as well as in South America and Asia and Europe and in China, and Africa, all over God wants to use us. And I want you to know this, God also wants to use us within this building as well to equip people, to disciple people, to invest in people, to help people catch their own visions and then live out those visions. God wants to use each of us in this room. He wants to use us to change our community, to change our places of employment, to change our schools, our neighborhoods, and the lives of people in this world. So what's going to have to happen before that begins to occur? I believe it's going to take us getting down on our knees and praying and asking God to speak to us so that then he can speak through us. And after we pray, you know what we have to do when we hear the word from the Lord? We've got to rise up and build. When we come back together next week, we're going to see the nation rise up and build. Folks, there's some building that we need to do as well. But before we can build, we've got to catch the vision that God has given us. And before we can catch the vision that God has given us, we have to open up our hearts and ask God to speak to us. And reveal to us what that vision is. Because you can be certain of this right now. God wants to use every single one of us in this room to change this world. He didn't create us just to breathe in oxygen. Okay, He didn't create us just to go through this life. By, by, you know, he didn't create us just to exist. He created us to be agents of change for him. He created us to go. In, in fact, he didn't give us an option when he said to go. It was a command. It's called the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples. May all of us be obedient and go and make disciples. You may be here this morning, and, and over you know, the past 
weeks or months or years, the Lord has either birthed a vision in your heart or has been birthing a vision in your heart. And the time to act is now. Maybe this morning you have to just say to the Lord, Father, I'm ready. I'm ready to do what you have called me to do. You may be here this morning and and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. The Bible makes it very, very clear that we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, either in heaven if we have repented of our sins and placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or in hell if we have chosen to um, deny Jesus and renounce his name. Do you know Jesus this morning? Do you know where you would spend eternity if you were to die today? If you don't, in just a moment, I'm going to be here at the front, and I would love to share with you this morning how you can make the greatest decision of your life. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And when I say amen, if there is a decision you need to make, you come. You come. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the promises that are in your word. Thank you for the stories of life change that is in your word. Thank you for men like Nehemiah who got out of his place of comfort to become the agent of change that you created him to be. Father, I know that there's some in this room that also need to get out of their place of comfort and become the agents that you created them to be those change agents, those men and women and students and children that have a passion to see their campus claimed for Christ, their their businesses claimed for Christ, their communities claimed for Christ, their churches claimed for Christ. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. If there's someone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that you'll draw them into salvation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray.